Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. Here we go, kids. I think we have it. I think we're on. I think we're working. I'm hoping we are. Uh, we are live on Facebook this morning as well as Drive Time Radio. New York Vinny hanging out with you on a what was gray, but now seems to be clearing up Saturday morning. It is our weekly edition of Drive Time Radio where we get together to talk about cars and everything else in the world that we could possibly talk about. Cram into one hour of radio here on 1150 KKNW around the world on Facebook Live and around the bigger world on the www at um, uh, 1150kknw.com. It's been a, uh, an interesting week, of, but more of an interesting weekend coming up uh, because we are experiencing here um, May in August. And they'll run the Indianapolis 500 this weekend. Qualifying has been going on in Indianapolis all week. And uh, toward that end, we will talk to my good friend, Kirby Arnold, who writes for a number of automotive um, entities uh, that you can pick up his work. He's a, a, a racing fan and has covered the Indianapolis 500 for many, many years. And we'll get a chance to, to have him set up and talk about this most unusual Indianapolis 500 uh, that's being run not only at a weird time of year in the middle of August and how things will affect that, uh, but also with nobody in the stands, uh, you know, due to the COVID-19, uh, as in many other places, uh, you can't have large public gatherings. The idea of putting 100,000 people together uh, with no masks and uh, nothing, you know, to protect them uh, doesn't, doesn't fall well on any public officials, um, agenda so boom uh, they'll run the race with no people so that's going to be pretty odd as well so we'll talk to uh, uh to kirby about that and see what's going on with him uh kirby by the way also owns a pretty slick mustang that we'll talk about a little bit too he's uh he's a car guy and he also used to cover the mariners uh with me at the same time uh that i did was a frequent guest on our mariner magazine and um, if you want to or talk to him, uh, let's um, let's do uh, let's, let's do the top five here. Yeah, uh, when you uh, you know, and, and again, uh, a lot of different things going on in the automotive world that we are um, doing our best to keep track of for you here. And again, I apologize for a little bit of maybe I'm sounding distracted, but this has been rendered useless this morning. So we. Are- Either. We're just going to try to do it as uh, you know, as, uh, as well as we can. We also have that situation, if you watch the Mikey and Vinny show during the week, right? No sound. Like, well, we're here. No sound. But if I stay right in front of the useless clock, five hours and five minutes off, you can hear me just perfectly. So, let's... Um, well, <laughs> that's one in the morning. You've had this kind of morning at work, haven't you? Yes, you have. I know you have. Um, all right, let's crank up the uh, the top five here and see what we got. All right, we started off with Tesla. Yes, Tesla. Uh, do you own a Tesla? 
Do you know somebody that does? Do you know a couple of people uh, that own Teslas? Do you think that they have something in common? Well, uh, there's a, a gentleman who is developing a dating app for people that own Teslas. Tesla to Tesla dating. Pretty funky, huh? Uh, but yeah, this, uh, this dude is uh, out there and he's developed this uh, this dating app. I don't know that it's uh, commercially available yet, but it will be. And if you're a Tesla owner, you sign up and it has a picture of you. And of course, what would a Tesla dating app be without a picture of your car as well? <laughs> uh, and you'll, uh, you know, you'll put in your, <clears throat> your uh, Tesla information. They'll put in theirs and the app will uh, match you up. It seems to, um, uh, from what I'm, I'm reading in the story, in Motor Trend, it uh, seems to work very similar to Tinder, except instead of swiping left and right, you hit a, uh, a couple of icons that uh, Tesla owners would be able to uh, identify. Of course, you think that it's going to lead you to a couple of pretty crazy, um, you know, dating experiences. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people think that most people that own Teslas have a certain type of... Uh, personality. I don't know if that's true or not, it, but you know, I mean, certain cars do uh, fall in well with certain personalities. And if you think about early adapters and you think about the high tech people, Tesla falls in with them. If you have the car, you have something in common. So, you know, you go ahead and you, you hook up with somebody with a Tesla. What could be bad about that? Right. I mean, um, Although I guess some of the lines that they put in here that people would use to each other, like uh, I, I like the one about the back seat that you both can be in the back seat of the car and turn on the autonomous drive. I don't know if that would work or not, but you know, with these cars, you're you're wacky. <laughs> um, speaking about electric cars, you ever hear of a candy? K A N D I, candy. Well, seventeen thousand four hundred ninety-nine bucks out of China. There's two editions of them, and uh, the candy uh, electric vehicle will go is scheduled to go on sale here in the future. And um, as I said, seventeen thousand four hundred ninety-nine bucks. It is uh, not the best-looking car in the world. It kind of looks like a I don't know one of those kids' cartoons. But, you know, in that maybe is, is its cuteness. Uh, but uh, the first, um, I don't know, I don't know what the number is, uh, but the first uh, bunch of them that they're going to sell, they're going to sell for $17,999, uh, you know, when you drop in the incentives and everything, and that puts you in an electric car for uh, as cheap as I've seen one. And um, it's, you know, the... Automotive press says that it's ugly. Um, I, um, I'm not sure that I think it's ugly, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, that's an ugly car. It's certainly unusual looking, but I don't know. Seventeen nine ninety nine. I could probably uh, 
go with uh, a less than a less than beautiful car, you know. Um, so that's what's coming. That's what's going on from the folks at uh, Candy. Uh, and and again, we'll keep you updated when we hear more about uh, those uh, those costs. As I said, seventeen thousand four hundred and ninety nine bucks is what that thing will go for, and it seems that. Uh, People will probably be lapping those up, especially in California. It only has a top speed of 68 miles an hour, so I suspect people. You're not going to buy one to take a long road trip, but if you're looking for a city car, uh, if you're the postal service and you're looking for some new equipment, (laughs) maybe that might just be the thing you're looking for. And finally, uh, if you are driving a, a 2020 Corvette, which uh, I just was notified that I will uh, have that in my road test roster coming up here in uh, the next few weeks. So we'll have a full, we may even do the whole show out of the Corvette because it has the hotspot in it. But if you are driving one of those Corvettes, if you ordered a 5,400 change, people who have gotten theirs already, uh, beware uh, because the trunk latch, which is in the front, uh, because remember the new Corvette is mid-engine. Uh, the trunk latch seems to open up. It doesn't operate. It, it lets the trunk open up at uh, while the car is moving, which in anybody's auto book will tell you that that's never a good thing. So the thing opens up and, you know, you can't see. So uh, no, no reported injuries or accidents so far, but uh, there's been enough complaints uh, that the NHTSA has said, you know, um, fix it. And so they're going to reprogram uh, the computer. They can fix it, I guess, just by sending out a software update, uh, or at least they think they will. So that's the future of cars now is your connected car. Uh, you might not even have to take it to the dealership, but for people who are unfamiliar with the computer, don't uh, you know can't uh, figure it out or feel better having a dealer do it, you'll be able to take it into the dealer as well. All right, we'll take a quick break here. Come back, Kirby Arnold will join us as uh, we talk about the Indianapolis 500, the Great American Race, right here on Drive Time Radio on 1150 KK. What does it take to be a Buick? It takes a car as wild and wonderful as the new Buick Wildcat for 64. When you go the way of the Wildcat, people take notice. They want to know more about your car. They'll want to drive it themselves. But beware, once they get behind the wheel, it's hard to get them out. Sixty-four Wildcat. It's the wildest. And above all, it's a Buick. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Yes, we are. We are back. It is Drive Time Radio, New York Vinny, hanging out with you on Facebook Live. And, of course, right here on 1150 KKNW in the beautiful city of Seattle. Getting more beautiful by the moment as the uh, grayness is uh, coming out of the sky. We get a chance now to spend 
a little bit of time with uh, a gentleman who I've known for several years. Uh, we met while covering the Mariners many, 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 many years ago. Boy, is it many years now. And, um, you know, the great thing about covering the Mariners and, and, and being in the press box is you get to know people, you get to know what they like, what they don't like. And Kirby and I uh, hit it off because we have a mutual love of automobiles. Uh, Kirby has one of the neatest uh, Mustangs, 69 Mustangs, I think I've ever seen in my life. And he loves that car and he's a car guy. And he also covers racing and automobiles. So I thought we would have him on, Kirby Arnold, with us. Good morning, Kirby. Good morning, Vinny. So good to see you. And welcome back to Seattle. Thank you, man. It's, it's, uh, I can't tell you how good it feels to be back here. It's, um, you know, it's funny though. Everybody has changed. Everybody looks a little older. Isn't that amazing how that happens? Yeah. Except me, I'm my same youthful self, but everybody looks a little. <laughs> yeah. You talk about things that change. All the baseball players look a lot younger now though, too. They're babies. Yeah, and you know what? What a bunch of stiffs in the audience. Yeah. Crowd, I mean, nobody, <laughs> right. nobody does nothing. They get hit in the head with a ball. They just sit there. Um, That's right. Before we get into cars, let's quickly talk about the Mariners a bit. It's it's just, I don't think they should have played the season, to be honest with you. It just seems like a bizarre. It is. It's the most bizarre thing I've seen, at least, and that they tried to pull it off. And I had people down in Arizona tell me after spring training was cut short that, I mean, these are inside baseball seat people that said they did not see any way that they could pull off a season. This is going right up to almost the time that the teams went back to their summer training camps. So um, I think they're barely pulling it off. It's kind of nice to turn on a TV and watch a ball game, but uh, turn on the radio and listen to Rick Riz. But outside of that, uh, you know, I guess we get that summer habit back. Yeah, I mean, it is um, it is a happy diversion, um, you know, as baseball is meant to be. But for the people that follow it, and, you know, that really kind of, uh, especially the records and things like that, it's just right. going to be so weird. You start runners at second base in extra innings. You're, you know, uh, I don't know, halfway up the line, tag, you're it, and then the other guy can run. It's it's just a Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you're like talking. The game we love. You're talking to a traditionalist. I grew up in the National League city, and so I'm still trying to get used to the DH. Oh, man. I could, you know, um, I formed a, a nice friendship with uh, the former Pirate and Braves pitcher, Bob Walk, when I was back mm -hmm. in in um, Pittsburgh. And he is a stark traditionalist, man. He says, no, you know, ban the DH. He doesn't even want to see it in the American League. And he's upset that they didn't ban the DH in the American League, go the other way this year, and have, to have all the pitchers hit. And, um, I, you know, I think we may have seen, we may now see the end of the uh, designated hitter in the national. I have a feeling. I have a feeling it is. And, and you know, um, looking at the other side, because of the DH, we were able to see Edgar Martinez for all these years, and it was such a thrill to see him go into the Hall of Fame last year and uh, yeah. observing. So, so there's that side of it, too. But yeah, selfishly. Listen, yeah, I, like uh, double, I like double switches and uh, – Pitchers yeah. trying to lay down a bunt and things like that. So all of that is just so taken out of the game now. I mean, I mean, it, you know, it's it's bad enough. We I don't think anybody in the league knows how to bunt anymore. But right. uh, you know, I, I, you know, to see a suicide squeeze, you have to call the kids into the room and say, "Look, this is what baseball really is about." You know. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's talk cars. Let's. Uh, right. uh, the Indianapolis 500. How weird does it feel for you've been to to 
going since what, 1970? Well, uh, my first Indy 500 was in 1974. Wow. Um, so it goes back a few years. I took a few years off when we moved out to Seattle. I grew up in the Midwest, so so I went back. It was an easy drive for me for, I think, 11 years in a row. Moved out to Seattle, skipped it for almost 20 years. And then uh, 16 years ago, I uh, started going back again. And so uh, I have a 16-year streak that is broken now. And when I went back, I went back as a fan. I covered motorsports uh, back in the Midwest. I covered the 500 for uh, the newspaper I worked with in Springfield, Missouri, and then got away with it, but still had a few friends in the in the business. And then after I retired from uh, working here in Seattle, I worked at the Herald in Everett for uh, many years. After I retired from that, uh, mostly covering the Mariners, uh, kind of got hooked up back up with some friends connected with IndyCar. And the next thing I know in 2015, I believe it was, uh, was asked to do some writing for the IndyCar website. So I went from sitting in my seats in turn three and baking every year during the 500 to uh, sitting in this media center and, and, you know, being able to go down and talk to the drivers and crew and, and people like that and just having a, pretty fun time with it yeah i mean to, to have that kind of access in that um setting and yeah. i know it's work when you go and you're looking for stories and angles and things but uh, you know it's like going to a baseball even though we're we're fans of the sport or fans of what's going on uh or, or we're working there i should say the, the fan and you always kind of comes out and um and yet, you know, and, and, and you're, you know, all of a sudden you're looking around and you say, holy crap, I'm at the brickyard, man. I'm standing like on the, you know, on the concrete. Exactly. And, and, you know, the feeling, and I still get it every time I walk through that tunnel to go into the racetrack, it's the same feeling that you and I would get if we walked into Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park or Wrigley Field. It's just that sense of history, the, everything that's gone on there since 1909, uh, you know, and, and there's, there's such a, there has always been such a stability to the place. It's always happened at Memorial Weekend. The month of May is always the Indy 500. That's what makes this year so different and so strange because May came and went and the place was quiet and nobody was sure whether they really were going to have a race this year. But uh, uh, here it is uh, going to run about this time tomorrow. So, How, how does it affect the crews and the drivers and the, and, and the sport, if it does even, to have the race in August as opposed to having it in uh, in May, at the end of May. I, I mean, um, you, you know, creatures of habit and everything. Right. It was certainly different, and the whole series had to take a lot of time off before they got going again in, in July. The one thing I think was uh, probably financially for most of the teams, and they're all still taking a huge hit, and, and I heard some of them say, if this race did not happen tomorrow, even without fans, some of the teams might fold because they're so dependent on sponsors and, uh, and the support that they get financially. And they just wouldn't be able to, to pull it off. Uh, the, the Indy 500 is that big of an event to these people and their sponsors. So they've got to run this race. And, and I think, it, you know, even without spectators, it's going to be a – a great race uh, it won't nearly be the same because you'll look up at the 232,000 seats and another 100,000 in the end that would be in the infield and it's all going to be empty there. But as far as what goes on on the track, I think it's going to be a, a great race. I mean, from what happened in 
practice and qualifying the past week and a half. Uh, it's so competitive. Well, for guys like me to see, you know, been, and, and you too, they've been around for a while. It's uh, it, it's good to see an Andretti on the pole, right? First time in 37 years. Yeah. And a lot of people had written Marco Andretti off, but, um, but boy, he and that team really came together. Uh, I think the whole Andretti team is going to be really strong tomorrow. If I had to pick a, a favorite in the field, it would be the whole, anyone from that team. Uh, they've got six cars in the race. They're the biggest team in the race. So there's a lot of the racing now is so data driven and they can share their data. Uh, it's, it's like a, a science project, basically. These guys get in their cars, drive, come back, and then you have uh, a, a half dozen technicians come with their laptops and plug them in, and then they run data, and then they go back and have data debriefings in the garage and, and everything else. It's so much different than, than it used to be in the old days. But uh, but because they have such a big team, I think they have a bit of an advantage, and most of those guys are starting up front as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that, does that make – a big difference in the, in the Indianapolis 500 starting in that position? Um, there have been, I, well, yeah, I think so. They always say, you know, most, most of the time the winner comes from the first three rows. So um, this may be a little bit different because there are so many um, good drivers starting back in the back of the pack. I mean, we, you've got Will Power, former winner, starting 22nd. Last year's winner, Simon Pagano, starting 25th. Fernando Alonso, Formula One world champion, starting 26th. And Elio Castroneves, who's going for his fourth Indy victory, starting 28th tomorrow. So it, it'll be really interesting to see how those guys move from the back of the pack. And, and the one thing about IndyCar racing now, and especially the 500, it is so competitive that track position is really important from the start of the race. And the way you know the arrow configuration and everything else, it's it's become hard for the harder for those guys to pass each other if you get back in the pack in all the turbulence. The car is not as stable, so it's much more advantageous to run up front and be one of the first four or five cars in the field. So I, I can see those guys really making a push early in the race to move up front. Which um, I know it kind of goes back. We have Chevy, we have Honda. What manufacturers are are uh, you know what engine? If I'm looking to uh, to, to bet an engine, uh, is there a particular engine I'm looking at this year? Well, this year it's the Honda engine. They they absolutely dominated qualifying. Having said that, the race setups are completely different. I'm still Honda still has probably a horsepower advantage, but the Chevy team seemed in their race setups to be to run really well. Uh, one thing you have, when you have more horsepower and more speed, you burn more fuel. So the fuel mileage situation is going to be interesting to watch tomorrow, uh, especially if it becomes a fuel mileage race with very few yellow flags, especially very few yellow flags in the last 50 laps of the race, let's say. There'll be guys, uh, you know, trying to save fuel and, and do what they can to, uh, to, to stretch their fuel mileage toward the end. And if, uh, that's, that's essentially uh, what saved Simon Pagano last year. Chevy had the, the, the faster engine last year, but they were burning more fuel. Uh, he had to do a little bit of fuel saving, then got a, an, a, had the ad, advantage of a uh, yellow flag late in the race that helped him uh, save some fuel. during, And so he could go full out those last 10 or 15 laps. Kirby Arnold from uh, IndyCar Racing is with us uh, and, and – uh... 
of course, uh, former writer for the Herald and uh, baseball writer and, and motorsports writer extraordinaire. Um, Roger Penske took over the track. Um, you know, it was about to go under. Lots of things were happening. What has his ownership brought to the circuit, the track, uh, as far as the track? I know what he does with his with his cars. Uh, but right. what about what, what has he done with the track? Is it, it other drivers like it? Other teams uh, are happy that he's done that. Everyone is happy. It's it would be like uh, maybe if if George Steinbrenner would buy the entire Major League Baseball. Let's say you know you know what he does with the Yankees and pumps the money into to them. That's what Roger Penske has done already within the IndyCar series and the Speedway. This is such a weird year. He's taken a huge financial hit, and I heard someone say that he's in at least 15 million of his own money just to keep it's probably more than that but uh from what i've heard that there's been tremendous improvements around the speedway with video boards with improvements to concession stands improvements to restrooms which were pretty archaic in some corners of the speedway i mean it's a old facility and uh, the people who've been there that i've talked to are just blown away with with how nice the place is uh through and through from from one place to the other, anywhere you go around the speedway. So uh, uh, he's brought an infusion because he's Roger Penske. There's legitimacy there. He's brought an infusion of, of enthusiasm that, that spreads all the way out to potential sponsors. So that's going to help. It's it's nothing but a positive for the sport. Because there was talk you know, a couple of years ago that uh, it, it, it might not make it, that the, the, the right. things were, were, were bad enough that this iconic um, rolling uh, museum, this Wrigley Field of Motorsports, uh, may not make it, may have to be sold. Uh, and if it did survive, it would survive in a way that uh, might not be recognizable to, uh, you know, the average motorsport fan that maybe even doesn't love racing, but checks into the Indy 500. Right. I think I think the speedway itself will would will always be as it has been just an iconic facility and, and serve its purpose. And the Indy 500 would always exist. But the IndyCar series uh, was really on hard times, probably a decade and a half ago. And uh, I had one uh, Robin Miller is a very famous uh, IndyCar motorsports journalist. Uh, he told me it, it had become nothing more than a little club sport for you know for for multimillionaires basically because it takes yeah. millions of dollars to field a race team it makes takes millions of dollars to just run a car in the indy 500 so uh, uh it was a club sport and they were having a hard time fielding 33 cars for the indy 500 believe it or not uh you know the past few years they've had more than 33 increase so they've been able to have bumping to get into the field this year it's it was just a straight 33 this is such a different year everything is different so you can't really count what's happening this year as a real reflection of the strength of the sport, I don't think. But uh, um, but the competitiveness of the series is, I think, about as competitive as any motorsport series, any major motorsport series around the world. It really is. I mean, the I mean, when you look at the difference between Marco Andretti's pole speed and Scott Dixon in number, you know, in, who's starting second. The difference was basically uh, 60 feet over a 10-mile qualifying run at 231 miles an hour. Wow. Uh, the I, I saw some um, some some charts on the sector, the speed sectors as around the 
course for the various laps. And basically Marco coming out of turn four was either equal to Dixon or even a little bit behind Dixon. Um, the wind was really gusty that day. The theory is he got a gust of wind that probably helped him in that last three quarters of a mile down the main straightaway to win the pole position. That's the difference. And that's how close these cars are. I mean, when you go to a road course like at Portland, uh, 24 cars starting there might, the whole spread might be less than a second from fastest car to the slowest in qualifying. So it's really competitive. It's a great, it's a great sport. And I think the race tomorrow is really going to be competitive. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, you know, it's funny. I'm excited to watch it because I mean, I watch it every year, but you know, it kind of comes in that Memorial day weekend and boom. And then you, you move on for some reason. I'm hyped to watch it this year. I really kind of feel like, um, it's, it's going to be a special year. It's going to, you know, because of everything that's going on, uh, that um, this gives, uh, you know, the average car guy, the average car fan, maybe he doesn't check into racing all the time, uh, all of the piece of the, uh, of the, the action, you know, and, and right. being as it's in August and it's, uh, uh, you know, it's just a unique situation. So I think, did I expect, big numbers on tv for this or, or more than usual uh you know i don't i'm not sure I, I do know that qualifying last weekend got some pretty big numbers bigger than probably they even expected so uh I, I don't know exactly what those numbers were but i know the indycar people were really thrilled with what they saw and it was bigger than uh, what they gotten from several of their races already this year so just and that's just qualifying so i think uh yeah i think tomorrow it's you know it'll be big maybe not what it would be on the sunday of memorial day weekend because so many people are such creatures of habit and you do that on the sunday of more memorial day weekend you watch the race but um you know like i said it's it's everything is different this year i'm even frankly i'm i'm excited watching the nhl playoffs right now so <laughs> i missed that in the month of may and june but uh pretty cool that it's in august so yeah, I think um, for motorsports fans, we'll take what we can get given the conditions, you know, with the virus and everything around here. The, the temperatures. Now, I'm not that familiar with with with, with the, but I know how a temperature um, affects cars, affects automobiles. Will it be? What's the weather look like? Is it um, is it expected to be a, a hit with a heat wave? What are we looking at as far as? Uh, and will that affect the race? Um, on August temperature as opposed to a May temperature? Well, you know, I've been there in the month of May when the temperature for the race has been 70 degrees, and I've been there just a couple of years ago when it was in the mid-90s in May. Right now, and everybody thought, well, the race is going to be held the third week of August. Um, how uncomfortable is it going to be? Now, the, the, the cars generally don't run as well in the hotter weather. The, the, the grip isn't as good. The engines aren't as efficient as they would be as if it was a cool day. Having said that, uh, you know, first you think, well, August in the Midwest, it's gotta be 90 degrees and 90% humidity, but the entire week and a half that they've been there, the weather's been great. It's been seventies and eighties. And I think it's probably gonna be, from what I hear, it's gonna be about like that tomorrow with very little chance of rain too. That's another thing to keep an eye on. But uh, so I think the conditions should, should be ideal the race tomorrow and for as far as efficiency for the cars will, will people be 
did, did they go to the speedway and like tailgate outside and, and you know like there's a lot of crazy people that go that want to go and do they have that set up or is it just all blocked off and closed uh from what i understand actually the speedway owns some property just to the south of the racetrack off of turn turns one and two and last weekend for qualifying they uh they opened it up and there was a lot of spectators who were sitting in their lawn chairs uh could not see the racetrack they could see the video board inside the racetrack and so they were watching qualifying that way so i think there 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 have been several hundred people around the, the speedway uh i do know that there's people camping there yeah uh, so i wouldn't i wouldn't doubt if there's a few thousand people outside the speedway just you know they just want to be there to be there yeah the, the sound of an indy car coming down the main straight of that place is unlike anything you can hear if you're a motorsports person. Um, that's what I tell people. Watching it on TV is is pretty cool, but being there in person is you you can't get that that feeling. Uh, the sense of speed is unreal. The the sound it's not loud, uh, but it's just the sound, the tone uh, when they come down that main straightaway and then they disappear into turn one and around the back straights and then they come back at you again. Um, the magnitude of the speedway, it's a huge facility. There's not one seat in the house where you can see the entire track. Um, my, my seats that I have in turn three probably are as good as anything. And, and, uh, I can see them come out of turn two toward me, uh, down the back stretch through turns three and turn four, and then they disappear down the main straightaway behind the grandstands. So, so, and that's about as good a seat as visually as you can get so gotta use your ears right <laughs> that's right and and they have good video boards there too so yeah yeah which is the sense yeah if the sensory they experience is pretty unreal it, it really is it's cool who um uh, final question for you who walks does helio join uh mirrors and Foyt and those guys or or who winds up winning this thing uh in your if you, you know like money on somebody yeah uh like I said before, an Andretti driver, and if I was going to pick one, uh, because Andretti is a Honda team, if I was going to pick one, I would pick Alexander Rossi. He is fast. He is daring. He will. He's starting on the outside of row three. I can't wait to see his start because he will be driving the high line on that first lap, uh, going high around everybody, scaring everyone to death probably. But uh, he's he's always fast, and he. He almost beat Pagano last year. Uh, uh, outside of that, uh, I would a non-Andretti. I would say Scott Dixon. He's had a great month. He barely missed winning the pole position. Uh, he's been fast, one of the fastest much of the practice time. So, uh, and he's on a great team with the with the Ganassi team. So those two, those two are my picks, and they're both. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Chip fan. I, I got to know him a little bit back in Pittsburgh. You know, he's right. a Pittsburgh guy, and um, yeah, I'm kind of a. You know, between them and Ray Hall and Letterman, those are the two I usually uh, root for. But you know, the Andretti thing, being Italian, you gotta. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, it's 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 really one of the best stories that's happened in Indy in a long time, and I think it was really, for the sake of the series, I think it was it would be unbelievable for an Andretti to win this race. I think it was the general sports fan knows the name Andretti. They might yeah. not know Pagano. They might not necessarily know Rossi. But Andretti really rings a bell. And if all of a sudden you could say, and Andretti, Marco Andretti, the grandson of Mario, won the Indy 500, 
that would just, you know, add more legitimacy to the average sports fan out there. Got a great ring to it. Be strong for the series. Yeah. Kirby, it's good to see you, man. Good to talk to you. It's been a while. Let's not let it be so long. That's fine with me. Anytime, Vinny. Thanks. All right. Good to see you. Kirby Arnold joining us here uh, on Drive Time Radio. We come back. We'll have our cartoon of the week for you. And we got the review of the Ford Ranger here on Drive Time Radio uh, right here on 1150 KKNW. No matter how you say it, cruce con la verde, en el medio pierde. It always means the same thing. Attraversate soltanto al segnale verde, mai nel mezzo della strada. Cross at the green, not in between. Geht darüber de gas, norden wenn es green, nicht ergeht zwischen den mitten vom block. It means cross at the corner, never in the middle of the block. Don't walk until the light turns green. Always cross at corners where motorists expect you and where you can see them. Cross at the green, not in between. In any language, it's a way of life. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Use your eyes to look up. Use your ears to hear. Walk up to the corner when the coast is clear. And wait, and wait until you see the light turn green. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, way behind schedule here, but that's okay. Talking to Kirby Arnold is worth it. Thank you to him for uh, jumping on the show with us. Time for the cartoon of the week. Every week we pick out an automotive-related tune and play it for you. Uh, Because after all, what goes better to get it in cars and music? This week we go to one of the Beatles, and you think Beatles, you think, baby, can you drive my car? No, 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 no. George Harrison in uh, the early 70s uh, penned a tune that paid tribute uh, primarily to Sir Jackie Stewart, uh, but to a number of race car drivers called Faster. Let's listen to it here on Drive Time Radio. Written as a tribute to uh, not only uh, Sir Jackie Stewart, uh, but also Nicky Potter, Ronnie Peterson, and... Um, and uh, Formula One race car driver, George Harrison of the Beatles there from 1979. I thought it was earlier than that that he wrote that, but, you know, the years in the 70s, you know how they go, man. You know, one here, one there, they kind of interchange with each other, but faster the name of that one. It um, uh, also, uh, Sir Jackie Stewart was featured uh, in Martin Scorsese's film about uh, George Harrison. Talked a lot, the two were friends. Uh, giants of both uh, racing and music. So that is uh, our cartoon of the week. We thank you so much uh, for listening to that. And uh, when we come back, we'll take a quick break here. We come back, our final segment, we have our Yo Vinny, what are you driving this week? And uh, we put that together this week with uh, the Drive Time Road Test of the Week, where we uh, take you for a radio ride in the Ford Ranger pickup. Oh, you're going to love this one. Stick around. More to come right here on Drive Time Radio.
It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. Right back with you here on Alternative Talk, 1150's Drive Time Radio. New York Vinny hanging out with you on a Saturday morning, our final segment before we uh, uh, get out of here for a Saturday in Seattle. It uh, promises to be uh, a pretty nice one as far as uh, as we can see. All right, this is one of my favorite uh, new segments that we do because it gives us a chance to hear Nathan, uh, our erstwhile producer. And um, if you, matter of fact, if you go on our Drive Time Radio Facebook page and Instagram page, uh, you can see and hear Nathan actually introducing the little video that we do now. Uh, for the uh, amazing award-winning feature. Nathan? Yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Oh, such emotion, such feeling. Nathan is going to be on Vidamarkies all over the world, and we'll be able to say we knew him when. This week, I am driving the Hyundai Sonata. Now, you may remember that I did a singing review of the Sonata Hybrid uh, Nary a few weeks ago, and I got to drive the Sonata Hybrid. I think that this car uh, is one of the better ones out there. Now I get a chance to drive the straight uh, 1.6 turbo version of this car. You know, a lot of times we drive different versions of cars uh, during the year to be able to compare and contrast and see what the best one to recommend to people is. So we will, um, uh, we've so far in this one, uh, it's been a nice experience. Uh, I already thought that the Sonata was one of my favorite cars of the year um, in its hybrid form, and I'm quickly falling in love uh, with just the straight gas version. It's, um, you know, it's roomy, which I like. Uh, it has all the uh, high-tech stuff uh, that you could uh, ask for, including the heads-up display and so many other things. It's reasonably priced, so that's what I'm driving this week. We will... Uh, Give me a full report and review on that, a goodbye video and everything else like we do for all the cars coming up uh, here in just, um, you know, just a little, a few weeks. But uh, this week, that is what we're experiencing. I'm actually looking forward to taking it on a little bit of a drive. All right, let's uh, now moving from what we're driving this week to what we've driven already. The Drive Time Radio Road Test. Every week, Vinny puts another car through its paces and lets you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, you know, this is what this has turned into one of my favorites. I've driven this now three times, the uh, 2020 Ford Ranger. 
and it is in a, uh, a hot segment of the truck market uh, that includes the Honda Ridgeline, uh, the Chevy Colorado, and uh, you know uh, uh, the Nissan, and it is, um, I think, the Ford Ranger hits a lot of the bases, touches a lot of bases of the bases uh, for a person who wants to uh, get into something that will uh, is smaller. It's not a big, huge pickup like, uh, you know, the Silverado or the F-150, something that's smaller, a little more, more manageable, but yet wants the space and the room and the options and the luxury. Uh, the um, Probably the, the, the biggest competitor with this is Chevy Colorado. And, uh, you know, with, with that, I think it comes down to uh, packages that are available and also the, um, the what you like to drive you know a lot of this comes down to brand loyalty the trucks are really for the most part uh the same except that i think the chevy and uh the ford have a little bit more towing capacity uh than uh the tacoma but it really starts to come down to that uh you know I, the kind of car I like. I, my father drove a Ford. My uncle drove a Ford. When I was I drove a Ford. So I want to drive a Ranger. Or, uh, you know, um, my dad had Corvettes. So my dad had Impalas. And now uh, I want to drive that brand loyalty. And we're going to do a show on brand loyalty coming up soon. I think plays a big part in this. Because the trucks um, are probably very comparable. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the Ranger and its base trim, uh, around $25,000 in Colorado and its base trim about that, but it, it's really hard to find them. The Larian is probably the one you want to look at at the Ford Ranger. Um, roomy inside, uh, the uh, comfortable, very comfortable. Maybe my only knock on uh, the Ranger is that some of the materials in the interior are not luxurious enough for some people. But that being said, the ride is good. The uh, vehicle has a number of configurations that you do with it, uh, from the 25,000 I told you about, uh, you know, right on up to uh, and, and through, um, you know, uh, out to a, uh, you know, the, the Grand Lariat uh, with uh, tow packages and sport appearance packages and uh, all the Lariat chrome appearance, all of these different packages. So you can pretty much get this truck uh, the way you want it. I've tested two versions of it. Both of them came up in the high 40s. Uh, so it is a good truck. Uh, there are very few drawbacks to this truck. And again, I think it comes down to brand loyalty for uh, both of these. That is the for the, for the uh, Ford Ranger. That's going to do it for another edition of Drive Time Radio. Thank you so much. I'm glad the experiment worked out so well. We'll catch up with you next uh, Saturday morning at 8 o'clock if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise right here on 1150 KKNW.